Good morning, and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. Today, we're going to be talking with Liz Wessel, who is co-founder and CEO of WayUp, an early career platform for helping professionals get hired. How are you, Liz? I'm great. Thank you. I feel like I could listen to your intro music all morning. It just jazzes me up. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, you know I'm, I'm about... 700 shows into this process and so so i still like it which is uh, uh <laughs> kind of amazing yeah. yeah yeah so so would you take a moment and introduce yourself absolutely so uh, i'm liz wessel i'm the co-founder and ceo at way up we are a tech startup based in new york city that helps employers recruit fantastic, qualified, diverse, early career talent, and I'm sure today we'll be talking about how we do that. Yeah, that's that's great. So how did you end up doing this? This is a, this is, I can't imagine you were five, hanging around the sandbox um, in, in, in kindergarten going, man, what I want to do is run a tech <laughs> Um, project that helps people get jobs. That, 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 so, so you stumbled on this somehow. What's the story? You are totally right. I think at that point I wanted to be either a Spice Girl or the mayor of New York City, but definitely not a startup CEO who was working in HR tech. So you're right about that. Um, so at a high level, I was in college at the University of Pennsylvania with my co-founder, JJ, who's our chief technology officer, also at Penn. And we saw firsthand from the early career candidate perspective just how awful the job search is. You, because these companies are recruiting vol, at volume, uh, you know, at scale, and yet they're not recruiting people who have no skills or who, you know, have high turnover. Um, it's not like a cashier job or, or something like that. This is um, jobs like software engineering roles and sales roles and marketing roles and so on. We just saw that there was this mismatch of how candidates wanted to be recruited and learn about jobs and how companies were able to recruit, again, at the volume that they needed to recruit and with the diversity goals they wanted to hit and so on. So we both had these awful experiences of looking for jobs, but we landed in fantastic jobs. I was very fortunate to start my career at Google, JJ at McKinsey. But we kept in touch over the years um, of working at our respective companies and continued to see actually from the employer side, while we didn't work in HR at our companies, we helped HR with various recruitment um, activities, and we saw just how much work and how, how inefficient recruiting in a lot of ways was. And so we decided to leave our jobs and, and start way up. And here we are today, five and a half years later. So, so you've built this company. What do you do? So way up partners with companies to recruit qualified, diverse early career candidates. And when I say early career, I'm saying people who have zero to five years of work experience. So typically it's college students or, or recent graduates up to five years out of college. And the way we do this is we offer flexible solutions to help these employers source and screen for all of their roles. So for example, um, and, and by the way, all of that is with a focus on achieving diversity goals, providing actionable insights through data, and giving all candidates an exceptional experience. So just to put that into kind of context, um, we have a consumer side of our platform and a B2B side of our, an employer side of our business. And on the consumer side, we have at this point about five and a half million users who are recent grads or college students who are using WayUp to look for jobs, get advice and so on. And so they'll apply for jobs 
and then we actually will manage the very top of the funnel for our employer clients, which means we'll help source for them, and we'll make sure we're sourcing with a focus on diversity and hitting their diversity goals. We'll screen every single candidate through our digital tools. Then we, if the client wants it, we'll actually phone screen every single candidate. Um, we'll give coaching and feedback to, on soft skills to the candidates, and then we move the candidate along through the company's rest of their process. And the whole time we're giving them data on things like uh, whether one of their steps in their process has a bias and against you and how the data shows it and what our recommendations are and so on and so forth. That's interesting. So so let's talk a little bit about how you find that bias. That's um, yeah. it, it's, a to, it's a topic of great interest to me. Yeah. So essentially what we're able to do, and we only start presenting the results to a client after they have a significant sample size, but the good thing about being in early career recruitment is most of our company's clients who are um, – you know, employers that are hiring hundreds or uh, at least, let's say, 50 to 15,000 people. The sample size of applicants is usually large enough to, to really have great statistics. So what we do is we'll look at what percentage of candidates are of each race or gender going into each stage of their funnel and then what percentage, quote, unquote, come out or pass. So let me give you an example. Um, there is a very popular engineering assessment that is very, very commonly used. It by uh, for campus recruiting, and we have now seen with a sample size of several thousand people across several different clients that candidates who are black and Hispanic and who take this engineering assessment are about 6x less likely to pass than white and Asian candidates. Now, in no way do I believe that candidates of a certain race are any better or worse at engineering. However, when you start to think about it, um, this assessment actually is taught um, very popularly of how to take the assessment. There are classes taught about it at top universities. And as I'm sure you're aware of the statistics of the economic gap in this country, students who go to schools that have more funding and therefore can bring in speakers to teach people how to take a test uh, like this assessment are going to be more likely to pass the assessment. And so you end up not necessarily assessing people based on how strong of an engineer they are, and you end up assessing people based on how well they're taught to take this test. And unfortunately, um, candidates who are of higher income backgrounds, which typically are um, less likely to be black and Hispanic candidates, end up going to those schools that teach this test. So that's an example where we will give to a company. A company will come to us and say, we're not hiring any black and Hispanic engineers. We don't know why, so we need you to just source hundreds of them for us and we said we're happy to do that but let us also look at your funnel because we don't want to just send you 300 qualified fantastic um, candidates of color or black and hispanic candidates who are software engineers who have all of the qualifications you need for you to just sell all of them and that's like a piece of data we would look at i can give you one other really fun one if you'd like um that's more top Please. of the funnel Okay, so this is one that everyone can kind of relate to, but um, do, do you remember if you had a strong GPA in college? <laughs> That's, I did not, so I, I, okay. anything that has to do with a strong GPA in college is uh, not something that I understand very well. Okay, so you'll probably then potentially uh, resonate with what I'm about to describe, but most employers I speak to, I'll say to them, you know, do you have GPA requirements? And, and very often for early careers, they say yes. And when you ask why, they always say, you know, I know GPA isn't everything, but we need some kind of qualification to be able to just rule out all of the high volume we have. 
And while that's totally fair, and I understand that they want some kind of qualification to do that, I always recommend rec GPA is not the one. And here's why. So most employers would prefer, and I certainly am one of them, would prefer a student with a 3.0 who has two part-time jobs versus a student with a 3.3 who spends most of their time in the library. And yet, campus recruiters will often have, often have like a 3.2 minimum GPA requirement, is a popular one. And so we did the data, we pulled the data, and we looked at students who attend four-year institutions, and we looked at them at junior year, which is a very popular year to be applying for internships. And we saw that the average Asian student has a 3.3 GPA, the average white student a 3.2, the average black student a 2.8, the average Hispanic student a 3.0, and so on and so forth. And so when you think about why that is, again, it's not about people of one race or another being any smarter or less smart than another. Georgetown University came out with a really interesting statistic, a study that showed that GPA is very often correlated to how much time you're statistically spending in the library and so on. And students of lower economic, uh, lower income uh, families are more likely to need to work more during school, which means spend less time in the library. And as you can imagine, unfortunately, that's disproportionately going to relate to black and Hispanic students. And so this whole concept of having a GPA requirement ends up really backfiring in companies that are trying to optimize for more diversity into and through their funnel. So that's just another example of a requirement that is at the very top of funnel that so many companies have, and yet they don't realize that there are so many other and better qualifications you could assess candidates for. So that's, that's the kind of thing WayUp does. We look at every one of your requirements, the questions you're asking candidates, what you're ruling them in and out for, and we are able to provide those data insights to our clients so that they can change very, very small tweaks to their process or requirements which can sometimes triple or even quadruple the number of, you know, female candidates they're hiring, people of color, and so on and so forth. This, this is interesting. This is a story I'm starting to hear over and over again, that, that the answer to um, the discovery of diverse candidates is um, to look more deeply into your own pipeline rather than throw up your hands and say there aren't any. And that's, that, that sounds like what you do. I'm fascinated by the idea that GPA is really a reflection of social class, which is what you said. Um, Not always, it, but statistically, that is what the data does show. Um, and by the way, it's interesting you said you know you're hearing that more and more because I very rarely am hearing heads of TA or HR saying I'm throwing my hands up and giving up. Instead, they're just spending all of this money on more sourcing tools so that they can proactively reach out to you know female engineers or, or black engineers and so on, or they're spending all this money to go to all these conferences when it's like a lot of these people are already applying for your jobs. You're just overlooking them. So, so one of the, one of the other things that I'm hearing, and, and I, I, I tend to hear the advanced part of the market. That's, that's where I work um, um, is that um, search technology never really made it to um uh, the HR tech universe and the recruiting universe in particular. So the idea that one must write horribly complex Boolean search strings um, to be able to use Google to find stuff is um, kind of different than everybody else's experience of search, which is you go to the search engine, you enter a term, and it gives you a result that you like. Um, and And so there are companies um, who are adjacent to you 
who are doing things about um, the search aspects of the the thing that you're talking about rather than the credential aspects. I I I applaud the work. So so how many customers do you have, and how um, successful are you at persuading them of, <laughs> of these sorts of things? Right, because it's a it's sure. a big deal to try to to teach what you're trying to teach. Sure. I'll answer that. Um, one one quick response I have on the search is just we're definitely not experts in, in AI search or machine learning search, but one one example that I can share of how an interesting insight we had in search was that um, when it comes to job recommendations, we used to always focus on uh, where the student tells us or recent grad tells us they're looking for a job. And so we would really focus our job recommendations on that location because they said they want to look for a job in New York and, and so we want to show them jobs in New York. But what was fascinating was we over time and time again would see the data showing students say they want to work in New York, but if they get their dream job, they'll move to Mountain View, they'll move to Boston, they'll move somewhere else. And so it doesn't always happen, and you know it definitely is more for that dream job, quote unquote, than it happens for uh, maybe a, a company that's um, not necessarily in a place where they can offer the dream salary or the dream uh, job opportunity. But it is really interesting with respect to what we present to our candidates. Sometimes what they tell us they're looking to see is not necessarily what they're actually seeing. So we use machine learning in that respect to look at, well, where are you actually applying for roles and what are the things, what are the qualities among those roles that you're looking at and that they have in common so that we can recommend jobs based on that. So I definitely hear you and I'm not an expert on search and AI, AI and search, but I, I, it very much resonates what you're saying. Well, I, I, you um, know, I, like, yeah. I like what you just said. The, the, the really interesting thing is that all of the dating apps know what you just told me, which is that exactly. what people say what people say they want and what they actually want are two different things. And if you're going to deliver uh, results that are useful, you pay attention to what they do, not to what they say. Yeah, exactly. I um, it was funny. I I was talking to uh, someone who was the CEO of the largest or one of the two or three largest dating apps in the country and, or in the world. And um, I remember they were just saying, on dating apps, our biggest lesson is just always show the hot blonde first. And I'm not a blonde, so you know I don't take offense to this, but I remember they said that to me, and I was like, wow, what is the parallel in job search, and is that how people do it? Is is that how bigger companies just show whatever the equivalent of the hot blonde is first? You know, that Google Google job or whatever it might be. So it is really interesting. Again, I'm not an expert on that at all. Well, that's that's great. That's and it's great that you're thinking about that stuff. So, yeah. in your work, in your work, you deal with um, with with an extremely important ethical issue. But it it is a, a broadly misunderstood question and and one that is subject to a lot of confusion. You know, because because when you're trying to tackle bias inside of a system it's easy for people to get defensive about the question. Um, so, so, so you must encounter that in your work. What do you, how do you deal with that? Yes. Um, and I also want to answer your prior question as well. Uh, you, you asked before that, cause I don't want to, uh, I don't want to ignore it. You asked, you know, how big are we? How many companies we work with? Um, the, short well, right. is, yeah, the short answer is um, we work with 
thousands of employers, um, some massive companies that are Fortune 100s, um, whether it's Unilever or Star, Fortune 500s, Unilever, Starbucks, Citigroup, uh, Deutsche Bank, and so on and so forth, um, all, uh, Verizon, all the way to much smaller companies that are startups, all the way to you know companies in the middle. We have nonprofits, et cetera. So we definitely work with companies of all sizes. Um, but I will say it's been really rewarding uh, as we went from once upon a time we were just a sourcing platform and then we kept seeing the problems that I just described where the candidates who we sent to our clients who were exactly what they were asking for would not get through their funnel. So that's why we ended up adding another component, which is the screening component for our clients, which has just resulted in such higher diversity uh, metrics and results. So anyway, the short of it is with that product, we really are focused uh, more so on this mid-market and enterprise world because, you know, it definitely um, can really help lower costs, improve ROI, and, and help supplement a maybe strapped team who just is not enough people to handle the volume that they need to scale up and scale down to recruit. So that's, um, that's the short of it. Uh, happy to answer any other questions about growth um, after. And I'm so sorry, would you mind just reminding me the question you just asked? It was a great one. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so you are um, in the business of correcting bias in systems. And when you correct bias in a system, it's inevitable that people take it personally and find them uh, find themselves accused of right. being biased. And I, yeah. I've never seen anybody take that gracefully. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so, so talk a little bit about how you've learned to navigate the dynamics right. of those conversations. That is a fantastic question. So I will say, first and foremost, it's never our opinion. We're just showing data. So the good news is that they can't get mad at us for, oh, you think I'm biased, because we would never say, you are biased. We simply show them, hey, we just want to show you that the pass rate for men in this stage of your assessment, or this stage of your interviewing, is um, 80%, and the pass rate for women is 10%, and the sample size is statistically significant. And then we usually end that with, what, what do you take away from this? <laughs> what are your thoughts? What, what should the action items be? And often it's not like we're implementing the action items. Um, for example, it might be uh, their hiring managers need to go through a bias training. It might be they realize that their hire view is completely, I mean, this is definitely a common one that like a video interviewing tool, definitely we, we see oh, time and time again biases against specific groups, even not just from who passes, but even from who opts into even completing it. And so, I absolutely am pleased to say we never have to give opinions and say we think you're biased. We're just showing data. Now, I will say on the flip side, I'm going to give you a, the sad side of what companies and so how some companies react. Um, one of our clients uh, has an engineering assessment, um, the, the, the one that's very popular, and we showed them the data, and we showed them how their black and Hispanic candidates were failing at such higher rates, which almost every company we've seen who uses this assessment sees. And we said, what are you, you know, thinking of doing? And they said, well, let's just focus on women then. And I was like, so, so you're just not at all going to, you know, optimize and, and change your funnel to, to react to the fact that entire groups of races and ethnicities are not getting through your funnel? And they said, well, let's just focus on women. Um, and so, you know, sometimes you see companies just simply don't care. Um, but we always try to make sure that we're making them um, as aware as possible and uh, hopefully they're aware of the laws and, and we just have to hope that our clients can always make the legally sound and, and best judgments. And whenever we see something that they are doing, and I'll give you an example of something we see that they're doing that 
is not legal, we will flag it to them immediately and we will absolutely not work with a company who continues to do it. So there is a Fortune 50 company that we had once worked with that told us anyone whose name sounds Asian, um, sounds Asian, I quote, um, we reject because they're so likely to have, uh, this company said they're so likely to have uh, a visa requirement and we don't offer visas. And we said that is like blatantly racist and that's um, a stereotyping and that's very illegal and we even provided links and so on. Um, and they continued to do that and so we don't work with them anymore. And, and now they work with a quote unquote, you know, competitive company to us and are doing the same practice with them. Um, and, and, you know, it is what it is. And so you definitely see awful things, but we do our best to make sure that the 99% of companies who actually want to get better are able to get better. And fortunately, it really is more like 99% versus the, you know, the opposite. That's, that's interesting. You, you know, given the, the political environment, one would be tempted to think that it was more than 99%. Uh, but I think, yeah. I think what, you're, what you're saying is that a lot of the bias that's in systems is deeply unconscious. Um, and the, the people who are militant about wanting to retain their bias are, uh, besides stupid, um, um, uh, in a very, very rarefied minority. Um, um, so, so, so now you're talking about, now, now we're talking about the group of people who, when you encounter their systems, you see bias, do they just change because you show them data? That's, that would be an interesting thing to, to believe. I can tell you that there are so many companies that have made immediate changes, companies that have dropped their GPA requirements on the spot, companies that have decided, you know what, let's lower internet this is a, a great one um a few of our companies this year lowered intern salaries by you know something like a dollar an hour so whatever it was it was a meaningful amount but in order to give that money upfront to those companies to be able to give uh, sorry to those candidates to be able to give them relocation stipends and say hey we know that you might not be able to pay for your flight to start the internship so instead of paying you a higher salary we'll lower that salary by a little bit and take that money and pay for your flights in the first month of rent and so on and so forth so we've seen that the data we give to companies actually has resulted in actions and that is why i keep coming to work and doing what i do despite the harder days because we see that fantastic candidates are getting hired and that companies are making changes in their process. I will tell you, if we were just providing data and then having companies say, okay, now we have the data, we're not going to change anything, um, I'd probably not be in the job I'm in today because that would be a, a depressing world. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's awesome to hear. Have you thought much about going upstream? You know, the, the world that you're describing is more amenable to a gross statistical analysis. And so, so some of your success comes with the fact that the numbers are bigger in this setting. When you go further up the career ladder, things get more deeply differentiated and the data sets are not quite as big on a per job basis. Um, have you thought about tackling that part of it or are you sticking to your guns? Fantastic question. Yeah, it's a fantastic question. I honestly don't know the answer. We really focus on zero to five years. It's, it's what we do best, and um, and so I just don't know the answer. Uh, it's a great question, though, and I would imagine the bias does not stop 
at early career, um, I, I would certainly imagine that it only it could potentially only increase. But I just I really wouldn't know. You would know, so I would I would turn that around to well, ask you. Well, well, I, I I think it's probably worth looking at as as I've learned about bias over the last last five years. Um, what what I've started to discover something that I thought was a sort of a fixed variable. If you if you went into a company and there was bias, there'd be five x bias. Um, but what's really the case is that bias is a variable thing, um, and that that it it is more like a liquid than it's like a solid, and so. So rooting it out and seeing it doesn't necessarily give way easily to big statistical analysis because it's not a constant inside of a system. It it appears at moments of stress. It's a it's a dynamic right. variable rather than a, than a static variable. And so so I'm always interested in starting with good data that shows bias and then figuring out how to chase it down um, when you get to the more sophisticated problems where it's a it moves faster like a cockroach <laughs> than than, yeah. than it moves like like a like a a, um, a a sort of paperweight or something which is how we yeah. think about it and so so it, it's it's a subject of great interest to me um um, and I, and I, I always say, ask. Yeah, I will say to your point, and again, I'm not an expert on this, but one one thing this reminds me of is I do believe that you're right. It's likely that there's too small of a sample size to necessarily deduct these data by each company. But when you look across companies, for example, percentage of females who are CEOs of Fortune 500 or percentage of C-levels in general and so on and so forth, you start to see data So and, and pretty clear insights. And so there's really great organizations. Like one is called CEO Action for Diversity and Inclusion. And I'm a part of that organization. It's at CEOaction.com. I think they're, I want to say they would be classified as a, a nonprofit, but they're an organization that PwC started. And they basically are a conglomerate of CEOs from all five companies, you know, way up in a small company of under 100 employees, all the way to CEOs of companies like PwC and, and so on, like massive, massive companies. And they all get together once a year and have smaller group meetings throughout the year about what they can all be doing together. And hopefully there's, you know, some of the, the actions are actually to start sharing data and having correlated insights across companies. Because to your point, maybe that's one of the only ways to create a large enough sample size. Who knows? How interesting. So so I'm so excited about your work. And this has been a great, great conversation. Would you mind reintroducing yourself and um, telling people how they might get a hold of you? Absolutely. So once again, I'm Liz Wessel. I'm the co-founder and CEO at WayUp. We'd love to be in touch with you. So if you'd like to check us out, you can go to wayup.com. That's W-A-Y-U-P.com. Um, like not way down, way up. And um, if you want to get in touch with us, go ahead and email us at engage at wayup.com, E-N-G-A-G-E, such because you're engaging with us at wayup.com. Uh, and if you want to follow me, you can follow us on Twitter um, at wayup or me is uh, at Liz Wessel, L-I-Z-W-E-S-S-E-L. So thanks, Liz. It's been a great conversation. 
We've been talking with Liz Wessel, who is the CEO and co-founder of Way Up. What I didn't tell you in the beginning is let me let me give you this list. This is amazing. She's a TEDx speaker, Forbes 30 under 30, Advertising Week, TechCrunch, Disrupt, South by Southwest, NACE, and Notable Events. Um, has some history at Google uh, as a manager in California and India. Um, so. So you can expect to see more from her as time goes on. Mm-hmm. It was Thank it was great so talking much. with you, Liz. And thanks, so everybody, for listening you. in. Yep. We'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. Bye-bye now. <laughs>